You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. If you would, join me in Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, this past weekend, I was out of town. No one has said they missed me last week. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you didn't even notice. It's okay. It's okay. Um, no, last week, I got to uh, be in Glacier National Park. Anybody ever been to Glacier National Park? Oh, my goodness. You talk about shadows of new creation beauty. It, it is one of the most beautiful places uh, that I've ever been. And, and so much so, it was so beautiful, it, it did something to me. So when you go to the land at the airport in, in, uh, outside of Whitefish, Montana, you, uh, you know, in Dallas, they have like the tunnels you get off. But here, it's one of those airports where when you get off the plane, you get off like on the tarmac. They bring you down the stairs, you're outside already. I used to think that was a sign of a really shady airport. But the reality is the good people of Montana know something. They're like, you're going to want to see this ASAP. When you get to Dallas, it's just like concrete jungle, and it's like, get ready. It's more of the same of this everywhere you go. But in Montana, when you land, you get off of the plane, and it's like I, I stepped out, lifted up my head, and in the moment, I was just like, why do I live in Texas? That was my first thought. Why do I live in Texas? Like there's, there was this encounter with beauty right when I stepped off the plane, and it changed something in me. And if it wasn't for the fact that my wife and, and two of my other kids were here, I may not have come back, guys. It was that gorgeous. It was that gorgeous. Just big mountains, big sky, no buildings over 50 feet tall, 75 degrees. And in my heart, why do I live in Texas? I was undergoing a, a bit of transformation on the spot. I've been a Texas boy most of my life, and yet here in this moment was wondering, uh, why not? Why not Montana? An encounter with beauty is something you can't easily shake off. It's something that lives with you, and it actually changes you from the inside. It changes your desires. And as we're going to see, Paul has an encounter with the risen Jesus that forever changes the trajectory of his life. Because when he encounters the risen Jesus, he is encountering true beauty. And what we'll learn is that Paul's experience is not that far off from our experience. Maybe in some of the particulars, but what is happening inside of Paul, not much different than what happens inside of us. So here's where we are so far in our series. Mitch kicked us off last week by talking about, the the series is called Becoming a Gospel People. And his whole point was gospel people are complete. And the reason that you and I are complete is because when we come to Jesus in faith, as he calls us and we respond to him in faith, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That it's what uh, theologians call union with Christ. That what is true about Jesus is true about us. So you don't need Jesus plus anything. Actually, Jesus plus something is a distortion. And a distorted gospel produces distorted and twisted disciples. So we need a whole gospel in order to form whole disciples. This was his point last week. And because of our union with Christ, we look at Christ and we would say, he's complete. He's the risen, victorious over death king. And if he's complete, so am I. If he's complete, so am I. So job done then, right? Why do we gather here? It's because we're still a work in progress. 
We're still being connected. There's still an ongoing transformation of our whole selves because the goal of salvation is not that you would just miss out on the consequences of sin and make it to heaven. It's that you would look like Jesus. That's the point. That you would learn to delight and enjoy in the personal presence of God. And that you would be transformed by His beauty and His goodness. So Jesus didn't go to the cross only to forgive our sins so that we can skip the consequences of sin. But He came and He laid down His life and He rose again and He ascended to the right hand of the Father so that we might be united with Him and folded into the love that has existed for eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the goal of it all is that we would be transformed into the type of people who delight in the presence of God. So if you're there with me in Galatians, I want us to start in verse 10. And just as a reminder, um, Paul is being challenged by the Judaizers. And what they're going around saying is you don't need just Jesus. You need Jesus plus circumcision, or you need Jesus plus these festivals, or you need Jesus plus these practices. And they're pointing at Paul, and you're saying, what does he know? He's not even a real apostle. He's not even a real apostle. He, he probably came to be an apostle by his own wisdom. He's a smart guy. He's not a real apostle. So these are the things that, that Paul is going to address. So join me in verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So notice what he says there. Paul says, if I were still trying to please man. What's the implication? That at one time, Paul lived his life to please man. But now he's been transformed. He no longer lives his life to please man. So what happened, Paul? Did you uh, go on a journey of self-discovery? Did you figure out your personality profile on the Myers-Briggs and, and begin to change yourself? No. Let's read what he says. He says, funny you should ask, dear reader. Let me tell you a story. We're going to read 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age uh, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia, and I turned, returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us 
is now preaching the faith, faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning um, that you would send your spirit to fill this place. That in the reading of your word, it would not return void as you promise. And spirit, we're asking that you would move among us, that you would work among us, that you would illuminate the scriptures, bring understanding that for hearts that are far from you, that you would regenerate them, that you would make them alive and give them the power to follow after Jesus. Father, our prayer this morning is that Christ be lifted high, that the gospel be proclaimed in its fullness and its goodness and its beauty, and our encounter with beauty would leave us transformed. Would you shape us and mold us into the image of your Son, And would you guard us and keep us until the day he returns? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's Paul defending himself. Primary thrust of his defense is his apostolic authority. So apostles, this is before the New Testament, apostles functioned as the designated spokespeople for the church and for the birth of the church. So the title of apostle is a big deal. And before we go any further, two quick things on apostle. Two things that I want to highlight. One is that an apostle is one who has physically seen the risen Jesus. Physically seen the risen Jesus. And two, has been specially commissioned by the risen Jesus to to perform a certain task. We see Paul's task in Acts 9.15. This is what Acts 9.15 says. This is Jesus' words to Ananias. And he says this, He is a chosen instrument of mine, talking about Paul, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's point is, look, I didn't make myself an apostle. I I didn't see this title. I didn't see this apostleship and seize it by my own wisdom or my own understanding or my own climbing the ladder. No, the word that he uses is, I received it by a revelation. That, that word revelation is where we get our word apocalypse. Apocalypse. When we think about apocalypse, we normally think of the end of the world, right? But an apocalypse is a great unveiling. It's when God peels back the curtain and reveals reality as it truly is. And this is what Paul encounters. He, he encounters an apocalypse of Jesus where the veil is pulled back. And Paul comes face to face with the reality that he's been fighting against. That Jesus truly is Lord he is the Lord of beauty and grace. So there's a more universal point that we, can, that we can draw out here. And that's this. The gospel that we preach here at Coggin, our prayer is, not man's gospel. What you hear from this stage, hopefully, prayerfully, by the Spirit's help, week in and week out, not man's gospel. Meaning, the gospel message is not something that originated in the mind or in the heart of man but through revelation of Jesus, through an apocalypse. You and I did not receive, likewise, like Paul, we did not receive the gospel from a mere human agent. So if you're like me, at some point in your life, a man or a woman proclaimed the gospel to you, you heard it, you believed, you responded in faith, and Jesus saved you. But the very act of you coming to Jesus did not originate in that speaker. And it didn't originate in your own wisdom and understanding. 
it, it happened because Jesus revealed himself to you. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us, we came to faith not because of like a grand, uh, smooth-talking gospel presentation, but in spite of a lackluster one, right? So when I was nine years old, I attended a, a revival with a guy named Felix Snipes. Does anyone know that name? Felix Snipes. He was an illusionist and also an evangelist. He had been teasing all week long at our revival that he was going to turn our pastor into a rabbit. And at nine years old, I'm hooked. I'm like, you got me. I'm here every night. I cannot wait to see this. I cannot wait to see this. So the final night comes. Felix gets up. He waves his magic wand. He's getting ready to turn our pastor standing up there. And I'm like, I don't see any boxes. I don't see any like anything. How's this going to go down? I can't wait for this. He whips his wand, and, and you know those like cardboard cutouts that come out and you stick your hole in the face and you have it? That's what rolled out of his wand, was this bunny rabbit with a hole cut for the pastor's face, and he stuck his face in, and I was like, you liar. You tricked me, you duped, and I was, I was mad at Felix. I was mad. God rest his soul. He passed away in 2010. And yet, Felix makes some sort of a tie to that, to the gospel. And the whole time, I'm like, I'm coming after you when this is over. But I hear what you're saying, and I want Jesus. I want Jesus. So the reality is, is you and I didn't come to faith because of a smooth-talking evangelist. You didn't come to faith because someone knocked on your door and you lost an apologetic argument. Maybe that's part of your story, but the reason you came to faith is because Jesus chased you down. Jesus chased you down. In theological terms, we have two two terms that can help us out here. One is illumination. One is illumination. And that means that the Spirit opens your eyes to the beauty of Christ and the reality of your sin. These are going to be on screen. Illumination, that the Spirit opens your eyes to the beauty of Christ and the reality of your sin. And the second is regeneration, that the Spirit empowers you, brings you to life, and enables you to come to Jesus. Empowers the very faith that you have to respond to Jesus. Here's the point. Again, we can, we can emphasize it again and again. You didn't come to Jesus because of your own wisdom. You didn't make a pro and con list. You came to Jesus because he revealed himself to you as the Lord and King and true beauty. The Lord of glory. This is why you came. For no other reason than Jesus chased you down. Gospel transformation is initiated by God. It's initiated by God. If you and I are going to walk in the transformed life, we need God to move. We need Him to move. And for those of us in here who have responded to Jesus in faith, we've experienced that transformation. You are who you are in Christ because the Spirit of God opened your eyes to the beauty of who Jesus is. Well then, it certainly sounds like there's nothing for me to do here. So if God does the work, I can just go on about my life, right? Well, no. Because the second thing here is transformation must be received. 
transformation is received. The flip side to God initiating and opening our eyes to the beauty of Jesus is that we are called to receive him. We've kind of been conditioned in our Western culture to think that nothing good is free. And if you really want something, you have to get out there and you have to grind and you have to work for it and you have to hustle. You can't force transformation by carving out your own existence. It will never work. But I'm also not saying that you sit and do nothing. Receiving does not mean inactivity. I like what Dallas Willard says. He once wrote, grace is not opposed to effort, but opposed to earning. So what sort of effort, what sort of receiving should we be putting forth? Mark 1.14 sums it up quite nicely. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The point of receiving is not so much about activity or inactivity, but it's a posture that we take before God. And that posture is mirrored after the very life of Jesus. And what was Jesus' posture like? Well, John 5, 19 and down through 30, Jesus says, All I'm about is what the Father is doing. I've got it up here on screen. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of one who sent me. So, let's do a thought exercise here. The Son of God, who Philippians 2 tells us, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. This, this Jesus, equal with the Father, lives his life like this. I'm not taking another step. I'm not going one more step until I hear your voice. And whatever you give me, I give away for free. Whatever you give me, I give away for free. We might describe Jesus' posture as follows. Jesus lived dependently on the Father in every step. In every matter, took his own will, his thoughts, his actions, and laid them before the Father. So to receive then is a posture of dependence. To live like this, hands open, ready to receive, taking captive our will, our thoughts, our actions, and submitting to them to the Father by the Spirit at work within us. So maybe let's take this one step further. I just have a couple of questions. Do you long for a deeper, richer, more full experience of following Jesus? Do you long for the abundant life and yet feel like, feel like it always eludes you a little bit? Do you want to experience daily in every moment the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what you need to do? Ask. Ask. No, no tricks. No fake turning bunnies into... No, none of that. Ask. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask humbly, desperately, continuously ask. The essence of Christian life and worship is to practice living the asking life of desperation, of putting ourselves before God, humbly asking Him to move in our lives in every moment, directing and redirecting our thoughts to the Spirit at every moment.
And when we feel our minds stray, Lord, have mercy. Bring me back. Holy Spirit, fill me in this moment. So whether you've been a Christian like me since nine, or this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus, the transformed life requires you to take a receiving posture. Paul's life was one of seizing and taking. He was advancing in things that didn't matter, chasing after things that didn't matter, and ultimately found himself to be an enemy of the God he thought he was worshiping. And yet when Jesus revealed himself to Paul that day on the road to Damascus, things changed. In that moment, he was transformed. It says that I received through a revelation of Jesus Christ. My former life in Judaism was empty, and I found life in Jesus Christ. So for those of us in here who have been living the Christian life for a while, what does this mean for us? Well, we tend to have a one-and-done mentality when it comes to repentance and belief. But do you know when repentance and belief should happen? Every morning when your feet hit the floor. Because all sin, all rebellion in the life of the believer is a failure to believe in the promises of God. Everyone. And so we begin each day by repentance and belief. Father, by the power of your Spirit, turn my heart, set my gaze on Jesus, make me seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and righteousness alone. Because I'll just be honest, I, I, I need this news. Because like I said, I've been following Jesus since I was nine. The worst things that I have done, thought, acted upon, have happened after I came to Jesus. After. So, what's the response? To, to again receive the grace, not, not in a salvific sense. Once you're in Him, you're complete. But in the sense of becoming like Him, receive the grace of God in Christ. Repent and believe anew. One of the greatest evidences in your life of where you stand in relationship with God is where do you run when you failed yet again? Do you hide in shame and start trying to sow fig leaves to cover yourself? Or do you run to Jesus who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and weighed down, and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you, for I'm, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So one of the very few places in the New Testament where Jesus describes his own heart. He says, I'm gentle and lowly. Where do you run when you failed yet again? So summing up points one and two, this, the, the Spirit does the work of illumination. God does the initiation. It's his work to reach in, and yet we receive it by repentance and belief. So much like how transformation is both done and ongoing, meaning the Spirit has transformed you by the work of Jesus, and it continues to form you into Christ's image. Repentance and belief both happen in a moment and are ongoing. I heard Billy Cash say one time, what's the evidence that you once repented and believed in Jesus? You are still repenting and believing in Jesus today. So the reason this is crucial is our final point here. That transformation turns our shame into glory. Transformation turns our shame into glory. Let's look at Paul's story again. 
I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but he's talking about his former life, how he violently persecuted the church. He tried to destroy it. He was advancing in Judaism. He was extremely zealous, extremely zealous for the traditions that he had inherited. And then he meets Jesus. And and when he, he comes to the churches of Judea, they glorified God because of him. The one who had once persecuted the church now glorify God because of him. So Paul's able to look at these Judaizers, these ones who are saying, um, Paul's not a real apostle, he's preaching you a false gospel. Paul looks at them and says, man, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've done what you're doing. It's empty. It's fruitless. You want to talk about somebody who was nailing religion? It was me. And I was chasing all the things that don't matter violently persecuting the church, and yet now people are glorifying God because of me. So aren't you the guy who wanted us dead or at least jailed? Yes. And now you're an apostle of Jesus seeking to build up the church you once tried to destroy? Yes. See, Paul doesn't hide his past wrongs, does he? He owns them. He owns them. And in some strange way, glories in them because of the transformation that has now taken place and because of the change brought about in other people's lives. So here, for us, here's what I'm... The thing that you think disqualifies you from being loved by God or being used by God is usually, most often, the thing God most wants to use in your life to glorify Him and to see others come to faith in Jesus. The thing that you think disqualifies you is often the thing that God wants to leverage most. Modern wisdom says leave the past in the past because if you give it too much thought, that means it has power over you and you're kept from living your best life. But Jesus says something different. Jesus transforms and empowers us to glory in our shame. Not in a bragging way of what we once were, but who we are now in light of what we once were. Word. The same shame the enemy says that you will never be free from, Jesus wants to leverage for his glory and for your good and for the good of your neighbor. So when you think about your own life, do you try to hide your failure out of fear that you'll tarnish some image that you've set up? Are, are you afraid that if, if people truly saw the real you, that they wouldn't accept you, they wouldn't love you? That's a lie from the enemy. You and I can put our shiniest foot forward on our social media feeds if we want to. We can come into this church week in, week out, dressed our best. You look lovely, by the way, today. Dressed our best with a smile on and fool everyone else around us that there are really some dark things going on in our hearts. And all the while, Jesus is whispering, what a heavy load to bear. Come to me. Let me turn your shame into my glory in your good. This is what grace does. It takes your worst failures when you've dropped the ball yet again. You do the thing that you said you weren't going to do again when you've made a mess of things and all around you, your house is just burning. And in the hands of God, it becomes the greatest proof of God's grace. So let me illustrate one more. By, by going, this is one of my favorite stories in the gospel. Jesus encounters the woman at the well, right? So you know this story I think Jesus encounters a woman of Samaria. She's at a well. She's there in the middle of the day. 
Short of the story is this is a woman who has greatly sinned and a woman who has been sinned against greatly. She's been ostracized by her community. She is alone in the heat of the day at the well. And as they talk and as they converse, Jesus lifts her head from her shame and onto himself. Then this woman runs into the town and starts proclaiming, Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. So the thing that once brought her shame is now fuel for mission. Right? The thing that once brought her shame is now her fuel and motivation for mission. The transformation that has taken place in her life from who she once was to who she is now. Fuel for her mission. So here's the incredibly powerful good news for us in here today. The God who initiates transformation in you and saves you by his grace does not waste your pain. And he does not waste your shame. Whether it's sin or sickness or depression or anxiety, a loss of job, divorce, a loss of a child, sin that you have committed that you are deeply ashamed of, or whether you're a former man of violence like Paul, he sees you. He sees you in every bit that you are. Even the darkest parts of your heart, he sees you. And if you will but come to him, his transforming power can turn your shame into glory. Do you believe it, church? And I'm not talking about the, the shame that you did way back when. I'm talking about this past week. You think God can leverage how you have fallen and how you've stumbled this past week to encourage a brother or sister? Because you know what most often happens whenever you go to a brother and sister and say, man, I, I absolutely just dropped the ball this week. You know what they're going to say? Me too, brother. Me too, sister. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's encourage one another in the Holy Spirit. So the challenge for us this morning, just as we start to land the plane here, the challenge for us this morning is to live as a transformed people, knowing that the God that has begun a good work in us will carry it to completion. We are transformed and being transformed. We're not a finished work yet. He's given us His Spirit, His Word, His people as ongoing agents of transformation. But will we receive it? Will we live lives like this? Will we receive it? Will we put ourselves in a posture of repentance and belief? Or will we continue to carve out our own existence and be like who Paul once was, chasing after things that don't matter? Father, you are good and you do good. For these hands that have gone up, those that are hungry for your spirit to move, Father, we ask that you would. That you would send your spirit. Help us not be tied up in empty religious exercise, but, but only things that are fueled by your spirit. Father, for the hand that went up about coming to Jesus in faith for the first time, I pray for courage. I pray for courage that they would come forward, that they would come see us after service, that they would let uh, mom and dad know that I want to follow Jesus. Father, for those that feel trapped, for those that feel trapped in sin, 
that have formed habits of destruction, that are surrounded by breaking relationships. Father, mercy. By your Spirit, would you move? Would you change our desires from the things that we think are going to bring us fullness of life? Spirit, would you remind us of the words of Jesus? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And for all of us, Father, who hear the shaming taunts of the enemy, would you remind us that you are able to save to the othermost those that draw near to you? That the thing that the enemy would use for our shame, you will use for your glory and for our good. Help us not to believe his lies. Make us desperate, Father. Enamor us with your holiness and your goodness to such a degree that our false images and idols would crumble before the risen and victorious King. Transform us by your power and your presence. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.